Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Praise the Lord. It's been a good, uh, good few days with your pastor and his wife. We've, uh, we've laughed, we've reminisced, we've known each other for many years, and so we've had uh, a great couple of days together eating, eating cod and chips and uh, cod and chips, and, and if you didn't hear that, we had cod and chips again. So uh, I, I love coming here. I come here not for the preaching, but for the cod and chips. But um, it's been a, an amazing time, just <laughs> refreshing our friendship and relationship. We, we love them. And then seeing all the team, it's just amazing to be here. Great church, and we love you. Tonight I want to just you know, go through some scriptures with you. And I've entitled this message, if, you know, I, we, we often laugh about this. We, we're probably the worst title makers that they are. So uh, we, we struggle. Some people come up with titles that everybody goes to, and they've got thousands who then you know, watch the video. Ours don't get as many hits, I'm sure, because the title is terrible. But Finding True Treasure is the title tonight. And so when you study the, the Apostle Paul and his life, you, you, you begin to see a man who truly found treasure, and, and I think that that's what God would want to impart to us. Now, in Romans chapter 7, verse 9, we see that this is the Apostle Paul. In, in Romans chapter 7, he writes things like this. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. Now, when, when you just think about it, what, he, what he's basically saying is that, and I just interpret it this way, whether it's, it's 100% correct or not, but um, like when he was growing up as a kid, his parents took full responsibility for him. He, he, he was free. He lived life to the full like any kid would because there was no responsibilities and uh, things were going great. But when he, he was studying to become a Pharisee and he was fully immersed into his studies and the law, then when the law came to him and he began to study it, it says, I was free once, but when the law came, I died. And in verse 8 it says, but since seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire for apart from the law, sin is dead. So, so when I began to study, you know, in basic terms, what Paul is saying is when I began to study the law, suddenly it says, thou shalt not covet. And suddenly I began to find inside of me these covetous things, you know, that was, there was no end to it. And... Uh, and he began to struggle. And then in verse 15 through 19, he says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. Has anyone been there? But what I hate to do, that's what I end up doing. 
And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who, who do it, but sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Anybody been there? Oh my gosh. It's just like one struggle after another struggle. It's like, imagine you, you've been to the store. Nolene sends me to the store to go get some cookies because we're having guests over uh, to our house. And she says, I want you to go and get those great French cookies with all different colors. Uh, you know, she just loves those things. They're expensive. And um, so I get them. So as I'm coming out the store and I'm walking down the sidewalk, you know, heading to, to the house, I suddenly see a sign that says, keep off the grass. And then while I'm looking at that sign, I look just beyond it, and then I see a bench that says, wet paint, do not touch. And then I remember my wife saying to me, don't eat the cookies. <laughs> you see, so, so now <laughs> I come out, the first thing I do is I walk on the grass. Why? I don't know. Because the sign said don't walk on it. So I walk on it. Don't touch the paint. Well, I want to see, is it really wet or not? i got to touch it now. So I go and touch the bench. And then it's, not, it's dry, so that's, that was disappointing. I'll eat a cookie. And so I start eating a cookie. You see... Keep off the grass did not make me walk on the grass. And do not touch the wet paint didn't force me. It didn't grab me by the throat and say, touch me. Didn't force me. And the command, don't eat the cookies, that didn't force my hand into the packet to take out the cookie and start eating it. You see, the law tells you not what not to do, but it doesn't make you do it. It reveals that inside of us, there is this desire to do what is what we're told not to do. It's in all of us. Now, some of you goody-two-shoes, maybe you've never done that, but, but some, most of us have. And so... The command doesn't make us do it, but it reveals the evil desire within us to do the things that we are told not to do. And uh, we, we are not, we don't become sinners because we sin. We are born into sin. All in Adam, all have died. And so we're all sinners. So nobody can have an excuse to say, well, I've never done that. That might, that might be true on the three illustrations I gave you, but there's other illustrations that you have done. And so Paul ends up in chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, and says, oh, what a wretched man that I am. He recognizes that within us, we don't have the ability to serve God out of our own strength. We can't do it. 
You, as hard as you try to be a good Christian, you're a bad one. We don't have the ability. And so he says, who will rescue me from this body of sin? Notice what he says. He didn't say, what will rescue me? He didn't say, what principle? Or what program? What issue can deliver me? He said, who will deliver me? And he got it right. And he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. On the day that he was going to Damascus and uh, the Lord touched his life, fell to the ground, and uh, he came face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ on that amazing road to Damascus, the Apostle Paul received Christ into his life and he was changed. And from that moment onwards, you begin to see that there was a treasure that he was never willing to give up on. He was going to fight for that treasure that he had found in Christ because he knew he couldn't do it. He understood there was nothing good inside of him that could make God happy with him or that he could make his way to God by what he did. Nothing in the law could satisfy that outworking. And so when he came to Jesus Christ, then you understand the passion and the love and the joy that he fought for. And he fought hard. He wouldn't allow anybody to bring any erroneous teaching in on what was Christ alone. He wouldn't allow it. He fought for it. You go through all of his writings and you begin to read and see the, the fight that he had to maintain that amazing treasure that he had found in Jesus Christ. I thank my God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And he never gave up on that on that amazing vision. Because you know why? He found treasure. He had found the treasure of his life. In Matthew chapter 13, 44 and 46 gives us two parables that I believe are companion parables. They, they're like single verse parables. And in Matthew 13 it says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one, a pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see, these two parables are, are important. The one is a hidden treasure that relates to God, what he, what he puts within us, and the pearl of great price relates to the universal love that God has for all mankind because it comes out of the ocean. And so, so when, you, when you see these two wonderful parables, and they're parabolic, meaning that there's different facets. And I might have one facet, but there's a second and a third and a fourth facet to parables. And so when you think of these, these two amazing parables that Jesus writes in Matthew 13, and there's seven parables, and the eighth is what the disciples had learned. Anyhow, in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has. And, and I can see this guy. 
I can see him. He's walking across this field. He's taking a shortcut. It's hot. He's got his, he's got his stick and he's walking across the field. And, uh, and I've, uh, you know, I've shared this before. This is one of the, the, the parables I love to share because it just speaks to what, you see, a person will never give up what he has unless he finds something greater than what he's got. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. If, if you think the value of what you've got is greater than what's in the treasure in the box, you're going to keep what you got. And so he has this guy walking across the field, and as he's walking, his, his, his you know, walking stick taps on this box, boop, 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 and he digs around, he opens up, he breaks the seal, he opens up, and he sees this amazing treasure. You see, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying he found treasure that was so unbelievable that, it, that there was nothing that he wanted in his past life. He says, I left it all behind that I might obtain this one prize, Jesus Christ. And see, this is what this parable is, is that this man finds it. And so immediately, it's, and you can just feel the story. You can feel the weight of the parable and the atmosphere is he's, it's a hot day, he's walking, he's got no joy, he's going to his house and when he clunk, clunk and he digs this thing up and he opens it up and he sees the treasure, what immediately happens when he sees that, he covers it up again and then he immediately goes home and he sells up every single thing that he has. Come on, honey, let's put this on the, on the flea market. Come on, honey, let's have a, a garage sale. We've got to get rid of it. What do you mean get rid of it? We've had these things in our, these are heirlooms. We've had them forever. Get rid of them. We don't want them. Why? I'll tell you later. <laughs> But let's sell up everything and, and get that field. We, I, I'm gonna, but that field is full of stones. It's, there's a reason that they don't plant in that field. I know. But there's a treasure in that field that we need. And so they sell everything. And like I said, nobody, nobody gives up what they've got unless what they're getting is so much greater. See? And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say to us out of Romans. I thank my God through Jesus Christ. You see, and there's a lot of people who've given their life to the Lord and had a, you know, maybe a euphoric salvation. Maybe you grew up like my wife in a Christian home who naturally just started serving the Lord. She doesn't have an exact day that she said, Jesus, come into my life, like I do, I have an exact day, a moment in time when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. But it doesn't matter because we both found that treasure in Christ. And see, but sometimes after we've been serving the Lord for a lot of years, people get tired and bored of Christianity. It's true. People suffer burnout. Another meeting, another service. How do we keep alive the life of Jesus Christ within us? How do we keep this, the fire burning? Well, you don't keep it. He keeps you. And it's that vision of seeing him and knowing the treasure. And so 
that's where the pearl of great price comes in. And you know, when I was looking at the second parable, I, I don't think I've ever really studied it in depth. I've maybe meandered around it. I don't think I've ever preached a single sermon on it. I might have mentioned it in a sermon, but I don't think I've ever really studied it out in any depth, and I still haven't, uh, you know, of anything worth like a whole sermon. But when I took these two together, I began to see something. The one definitely is what is going to affect my life. My life is affected by this treasure that I have found. My life has changed. It is now forever changed. When I found that treasure in the ground, all of my all of my problems have gone away. Everything that I'm facing is suddenly changed because of the treasure. But how do we continue to live in that? And this is where I think that the pearl of great price comes into being. Now, some people say the pearl of great price is the church. It could be us as individuals. I still think it's Christ. Because when I, when I take a look at this question about this, this pearl of great price, Number one, it's found in the ocean, which just makes me think that it's the ocean is so. And we've just been down to, you know, to the south of your country. I, I keep wanting to say South France, but South Ireland to Kerry, where they are very friendly. By the way, I just want you to know, Kerry people are very, very friendly, and uh, just like you. So we're down in the south and the ocean, and there's something that draws me to the ocean. There's something so majestic about all of the expanse of that water. And we were walking along the beach just talking together and just reminiscing and just loving the smell of the ocean and just watching the waves as the tide was coming in, just crashing on the, on the rocks and that spray going up. There's something majestic. And see... Almost every other parable talks about things on land. This happens to talk about a pearl because it comes out of the ocean, out of that majestic sea. And I just think, it, 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 for me, it makes me think of that this is for everyone. That what Jesus has done is good for every, every shore on every continent the ocean touches. And I believe that the goodness of Jesus goes to every nation. Not a country, not a nation is left out. Not a continent is left out of the love of God. And that's what it kind of like spoke to me about. So I began to look up in some, some encyclopedias online and stuff like this. And it says, because you, you know, here's a merchant who's got a handful of pearls. How do you know the pearl of great price. How do you know it? How do you select it? Is it because it's more round? It's bigger? What is, what is the method that you use? Like if you, if you bust open a box of treasure, you can see the jewels, the gold coins, you can see all the treasure that's in the box. It doesn't take any imagination. But how do you choose a pearl? What is the merchant looking for in this, this pearl? Of course, it's going to be how big it is and how round it is, but also that there's got to be this luster, this gleam. It should be 
so clear that the mother of pearl that covers it, you should be able to see your reflection in it. And if it's murky and if it's just like a whitish color and it's got, you know, it's a little opaque, you, you know, it's, it's probably a poor pearl. But the, the pearl of great price needs to be bright. It needs to be, you should be able to see your reflection in it. But there's got to be more to it than just looking at it and seeing my reflection. So how does the merchant looking for pearls, trying to find and make his selection, what actually is he looking for? And that's what I was kind of like fleshing out a little bit. You know, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with open face beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord were changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So there should be that reflection as we see the reflection of, of Christ. We, we're changed. And so, again, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at this and trying to figure this whole thing out. Now, this, this whole message actually came about one day we were doing, we, we go on, on a daily prayer walk. So once we've done our own devotions and stuff like this, we, we'll make time for it. Um, also, we take a dog and he's, he's got to go for a walk. And so it's a good excuse for us to get out the house, take a walk. But we pray during this time. And so on one of our prayer walks, uh, was, uh, we were going along and, um, and we just start picking up different different thoughts and we'll start praying on it and and you know someone one of us might introduce we, we pray for our, our family say and we're praying for our daughter and um, and then so Nolene will start praying I'll pray and we call it prayer walking and and we it's just like conversational prayer backwards and forwards but on this one occasion uh, as I was walking along a little pebble fell into my shoe and, and as I was walking along, this thing got, got underneath my foot in my shoe. And, and as I'm walking, you know, I, it's, it's so irritating me that as I'm walking along, I'm just hating this experience. I'm now not even thinking about praying anymore. And she's just, it's okay because Nolene has these long prayers that last like half an hour. And... Um, <laughs> And so, so she's going on, so it's okay. But as I'm going, I'm, I'm kind of tapping my foot on the ground and I'm, I'm wiggling it and, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tapping it here on the sides. And, and eventually, I just say, can you hold on a second, Nolene? And I take my shoe off. And the thing is so tiny, so small. It's not even, it's not even like a boulder in your shoe. It's this tiny little irritation, but you can't go on any further. And see, that's how this thing began. This whole message just began because of that irritation in my shoe. And then when I was reading the scriptures, and I thought, ah, the pearl of great price. You see, because you see an oyster, and, and I wrote this, a couple of things down. You see, an oyster, when it gets an irritant in its shell, a foreign object, into the shell. And we all know the story on how pearls are formed. And then what it does, it releases this, this aragonite and this nacre or mother of pearl. 
And what it does, you see, when it gets this thing, it doesn't complain to the ocean and say, Whoa, ocean, you've, you know, my shell was open to get some food and uh, the current sent this, this little foreign object and now it's caught in the back of my shell. You know, what a miserable ocean you are. No, you see, what the oyster does, it doesn't complain because its life has now suddenly changed. It was okay before, but now there is this irritant in it. What it does, it begins to release this aragonite to, to surround the object and then, it's, and then it continues to do that. And then it continues to do that. And it releases this, this other chemical as well called nacre or mother of pearl. That's giving it the gleam. And so one is kind of like coating it and coating it. And so that's how the pearls are formed. And it takes like three years to get a cultured pearl. And they harvest them. So again, we, we, we go back to the story about... How does this happen? How does this merchant know when he's holding a handful of pearls which one is expensive or not? Well, you see, he's got to look beyond the gleam. And, and he knows that certain pearls demonstrate a certain gleam and a reflection, which it should. And that's the indication that 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 oyster began to release more and more of that fluid to cover it. And so when he finds that, that particular kind of a gleam, he knows that within the heart of the pearl, there was an object bigger than the tiny grain of sand that was like in my shoe. It was a bigger object. And the bigger the object that gets caught into the, into the pearl, it releases more aragonite. And as it releases more aragonite, it releases more nacre to, to continue to keep that thing smooth and shiny. So, so the merchant who takes a look at the pearl, he might see this perfectly round one, but there's a certain gleam in it that tells him that in this one that is you know, a little bit murky, it's, it's not clear, there's no real shine to it, that it was a tiny object, it came out a little bit funny, etc. But the pearl of great price, that the object in it was of a size that required a greater release, a greater release, a greater release to keep that object covered. And you see, it suddenly dawned on me, why is Jesus the pearl? Why do we consider him the pearl of great price? Because of the amount of suffering for the sin of the world that he took on. When he took on not just one person's sin, when he didn't handle two people's sin, he was about to handle the sin going all the way to Adam and all the way to the end of the world. And because that object was so great, that the cross was so profound, that what Jesus was embracing within his life 
and then the release of the forgiveness to the entire world. Not only forgiveness, like in the first statement on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, the merchant knew when he picked up that pearl, ah, he didn't, he didn't give them his trade secrets, but he knew that what was in the heart of that pearl was a large object that forced a greater release. And so when we look at Jesus Christ, like Paul did, who will deliver me? I thank my God through Jesus Christ. He found the pearl of great price. Why? Because what he took on for all of humanity, what he embraced within himself that you could be free. The things that he took a hold of and allowed for the releasing of forgiveness. That you could look in the mirror and see that you've been transformed into the same image. Wow. Suddenly, the treasure in the field is, I love it because it's, it's still Christ in me. But see, what maintains my joy in Jesus is recognizing what he took on, what he embraced for me. I thank God for all the things I'm adding to my life. The grace, the mercy, the love, all these things. God going ahead of me, supplying my needs, defeating my enemies, fighting my battles. This is all in this treasure in the field. And I'm just saying, God, thank you for all of this wonderful treasure. But what keeps me burning in my heart for Jesus is when I understand what he has done for me at Calvary. When I begin to appreciate what he embraced for me and for you. And then the release of what he gave to bring us into that harmony of the perfect pearl. When I see the depth, when, when, when I see the scriptures, the prophetic scriptures of what he took on, and, and then he says, Father, forgive them. And then the second thing that he says while he's on that cross, he says to the thief, this day you'll be with me in paradise or Eden. That's what paradise means. It means Eden. That you will be brought back into the presence of the eternal God. What? A sinner able to be brought back into the presence of a holy God who cannot stand evil to be in his presence? How can that kind of a God bring us into his presence? Because his son took that sin and said, Father, forgive them. And now he releases reconciliation. So that today, you and I can go to the Father. We can walk into his presence. I don't have to knock on his door. Excuse me, sir, are you busy? No. 
I can walk into his presence immediately and say, Abba Father, I have a need. I have a need. I have a dad that needs our, our prayer. We can walk into the presence of the God who created the universe and ask him. Amen? Isn't that amazing? And then he releases to us the third thing which I'm going to stop on into a family. John, your mom. Mom, your son. Well, wait a minute. There's no blood ties here. I understand that. But the family that was broken up in the garden has now been restored on this day. So that we no longer look at each other in any other way other than you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my sister, you're my brother. We are now in the family of God. Amen? That's what Paul fought for. That's why he wrote Galatians. <laughs> that's why I believe he wrote Hebrews. Although that's under discussion. The jury's still out. But I love it. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, please. You see, beloved, we look to the heart of the pearl and we look to the heart of what Jesus has done. It has to thrill you because you couldn't get here in your own steam. You needed somebody who could do it for you. And that is the thrill of our heart when we see the magnitude. So, Father, we bow in your presence tonight. And we just want to proclaim with the Apostle Paul tonight, I thank my God through Jesus Christ, our treasure in a field that gives us grace and mercy and loving kindness, provision and protection, all those wonderful things. But Lord, our Christianity must go deeper. We've got to look beyond what Christianity can give me to what Christ has done in order that I could be free. And that's the thrill of our heart tonight, Lord. We want to say to you, sir, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our heart that you have done something so amazing that 2,000 years later, the church is still thrilled to the core of our being when we look to the heart of Christianity and we see the love of God made manifest through a son who went to a cross. We give you thanks. I pray your blessing on Cork Church, Lord Jesus. I pray a blessing on our students who come from all over the world to Cork to study. 
these young adults, I, I, I pray again, Lord, for those, all of those who we prayed for tonight, who needed a healing touch, touch them, bring healing and life. Not because we're good, but because you are good alone. Bless this house and all that pertains to this house. You know the inner workings and how we need miracle after miracle from our God. We ask you to provide in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.